1: It was in uh, 1971. I was starting to search for the Lord. I thought, I've won everything. I won the Grand Slam all in the one year. I'd won more Grand Slams than any man or woman. And I thought, God, there's something more to life than sport. The
2: Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Margaret Court is considered one of the greatest tennis players of all time. But after being ranked number one in the world and at the height of her success, she began to feel that there must be more to life. Her search for true fulfilment ultimately led her to becoming a Christian and then eventually becoming a pastor of a large church in Perth. Today, Margaret Court will share her remarkable story of going from tennis courts to the pulpit. She's chatting with Phil Edwards. So where did it all begin for you?
1: Well, I was uh, born in Aubrey, New South Wales, and uh, it was a great tennis centre. I happened to live across the road from 24 grass tennis courts, mm. and um, it was looking me at the in my face every day. I was a very good athlete, and I just loved the outdoors, and uh, uh, there was quite a lot of alcohol in our home, not with my a mum, but with my dad, and uh, so my escape was the outdoors. I had eight boys, lived in our street. I was the only girl, so I was very much a tomboy, kicked the football, played cricket, swam mm-hmm. the Murray River, uh, loved the outdoors, and somebody gave us, because my family didn't have any money, and we didn't own our own home or a car or anything, but Having lived across the road from 24 grass courts, I would go over there and play, and we'd normally play with a paling off the fence and a ball, and <laughs> somebody somebody saw me and hitting up a friend of my mum's and gave me a big old racket. I couldn't even get my hands around the grip of it.
0: This would have been and, one of the, uh, the old wooden rackets as well. That's pretty, right. Pretty heavy and it cumbersome.
1: It was so heavy, I wondered how I held it. Mm. So that was really how I started out.
0: Mm. So you obviously didn't grow up in a in a Christian home by by the sounds of things but yet well, today that, you're a pastor.
1: Well I was a Catholic background and I'd go to uh, go to mass every Sunday okay. and even when I became famous in the world it uh, didn't matter where I was in France or England or wherever I would still go to church. Right. And so that always was a uh, meant a part of me I knew God was there but I didn't know how to get him. It was like I went, sometimes I went because I thought if I don't go, I might lose. Uh, and sometimes I knew God was there. I would kneel down and pray of a night, and I knew somehow he was protecting me, uh, but I didn't really know him. And I remember in France, I said, God, where are you? I, I want to know you closer. There has to be more because I thought he was in the sky somewhere. I didn't know I could have him living on the inside of me. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll get to some more of that very soon. Let's just go back to your childhood. Brothers and sisters?
1: Uh, two brothers and a sister. Um, they My two brothers were quite sporting. They were top uh, road cyclists and vel- velodrome cyclists. Okay. Um, but my, and I have a sister, but she was more the dancing side. Um, so... Uh, you know, they were a lot older than me. I was the youngest of four. My eldest brother, he's still alive. He's in his 90s. He was 17, 18 years older than me. Wow, yeah.
0: that's a big, so, it's yeah. a big gap. How would you describe your schooling? Was it something that you loved and you are really academic?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love to go to school to play the sports side of it. And I, I was very fortunate there was a Reverend Mother there uh, I went to school in Wodonga in Victoria I'd get on the bus go from the New South Wales side across to Victoria to go go to school uh, but I think she had insight. she saw saw something there and she said Margaret at a very early age at, at about 14 she said I think you should need to do a business course back then that was being secretaries and that sort of thing and mm year, you know, you could in year 10. So I, I did do that which because I had to leave my home at the age of 15 and when I did go down to Melbourne, uh, I had shorthand typing, that sort of thing, to go into an office uh, to work part-time hmm. uh, while I then had time off to train also.
0: Now, you said earlier on that, uh, you know, when you were starting to take a shine to tennis and somebody said to you, what do you want to do with your tennis? And you'd latched onto this idea of winning Wimbledon What kind of reaction did you get to that? Did people take you seriously?
1: Well, it was so important. I think it was probably uh, I had a goal and I don't know. I was a very determined person as a young person and that was my heart was set there and I think at the age of 15, I pioneered quite a lot of areas particularly in women and women in sport and i frank sedgman who was a great tennis player uh, saw me when i came down to melbourne he said she's got potential she's a bit like a thoroughbred, but she's so skinny she'll never make it so put me in his gymnasium five mornings a week and i started to pump weights and women didn't do those things back in that time and mm. I started probably becoming one of the fittest athletes in the world at a very young age and uh, was there and then went on to win my first Australian Open when I was 17 and so I was very young and they kept me home a year thinking I was too young to go overseas and really that was the start of my career I wasn't expected to win it that year I wasn't seeded and the number one and number two in the world were out here and I beat the number one in the world so when I did that everybody thought well she's going to be the next champion
0: Mm. that's a good way to get people's attention (laughs) (laughs) so how did that unfold for you because you said before you didn't have a lot of money as uh, your family and in growing up and you went off and pursued this uh know career which would have involved a lot of travel around the world a lot of time dedicated towards training and and that kind of thing was it was it tough going and how did you make it happen
1: well considering from coming from my background my escape was to the outdoors and because of alcohol and that i was very blessed to have a very good coach and his wife they had no children who ran those tennis courts across the road from us, he saw the potential in me. He had a lovely style. He passed a lot of that on to me. He said, Margaret, if you're going to go any further and higher, because when I was a junior, I was winning all the country tournaments and junior things. He said, you're going to have to go to Melbourne. He approached Frank Sedgman, who was right up there, number one, number two in the world and the men at the time. And, uh, Frank saw that potential all the way through. And then I had the greatest gym coach, uh, who took me into the fitness, probably, uh, before a lot of the fitness they were doing in sport. And, um, so I had these people that behind me, they were there helping me. They were like my dads mm. and I had families behind me, uh, even though I had no money. I got seven pounds, fifteen a week back then, and I had to pay seven pounds five in board. Wow! So <laughs> uh, I had to learn to do it the hard way, and got the tram everywhere. Uh, but you know, I had this determination. I wanted to succeed, and I was doing what I loved. I even ran the the um, Sand Hills in Melbourne with Percy Serety, who was Herb Elliott's trainer. Um, so I had all these people who took an interest and they believed in me more than I believed in myself because I was very shy. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of confidence. Um, when I first went to Melbourne, I didn't know to how, hold a, how to hand my knife and fork properly and <laughs> I didn't know how to speak properly. So I had to learn all those things, but I wanted to learn.
0: Yes, they sent you off to June Daly Watkins Deportment School or something, <laughs> uh, I imagine. Country girl um, in the in the big city, and I imagine that would have been an interesting experience for you, having grown up in the country, and then here you find yourself on the world stage. What was that like?
1: Uh, I didn't like all the social side that went with it. Um, I w- I loved the tennis side. I loved the training side. I didn't mind getting up at four o'clock in the morning and running the streets with the Dobermans. I like that, and uh, but as for all the social side or uh, the promotion side of it, I really didn't like that very much. Mm. And uh, as for the traveling side, I didn't like that too much either because I loved my nation. We used to have to go away for 11 months of the year and I didn't like that. Uh, I used to get homesick and it was probably in the middle of my re- career that I decided to retire. I'd won everything uh, three or four times and uh, so I decided to retire in the middle of it and that's when I came to Perth. Mm.
0: At what point did you um, have the, the moment where you really sought after God? So you, you obviously were, were very determined to succeed in sport but was there a moment somewhere where you just went well there's got to be more here and, and God where are you?
1: Well, I came to Perth in the middle of my career to hide for two years and that was when I met my husband and then my husband and I went back and I probably, I said, let's go for one year and you see the life that I led. I didn't even pick up a racket in two years. Mm. I played squash and got to number two in the state and squash here. Then went back into tennis, we're just going for the one year and somebody said to me, well, you've gone so close to win the Grand Slam and that's the four majors all in the one year. And uh, they said, why don't you go for that? So I went on and I went on with my husband for about another seven years, but it was in the middle of that and it was in uh, 1971. I was starting to search for the Lord. I thought I've won everything. I won the Grand Slam all in the one year. I'd won more Grand Slams than any man or woman. And I thought, God, there's something more to life than, than sport. And, uh, you know, I had everything, fame, money, great husband. But I, I still knew because I prayed and I reached out to him. I knew, always knew from a little girl my gift was from God. And people, uh, press would say to me, why are you so good? I say, it's a gift from God. Mm. And so I always, I always knew that. I was open and bold about that. And uh, it was then I was in a cathedral in France, a uh, mass there, and I said, God, where are you? And I went that year to America. And this people we stayed with in America, she was always going off to meetings. And she'd give me, come home and give me these books. And I said to my husband, Barry, I think she's become a religious nut. <laughs> and I... I'd put them in the rubbish bin, but I kept one about accepting Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. And I came back to Perth, and I had a friend who was going through marriage problems, and she was going off to these meetings. I said, funny, I just read a book on that. I'd like to come. And that was in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Right. uh, That I went along, and and then there was a whole group of Catholics going off to these different meetings. And I went to another meeting with them, and one night it was just like, something got me up out of my seat. I was watching them and I went forward and I gave my heart to Christ. And I knew if I died that day, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I had such an encounter, such a presence of knowing.
2: You're listening to The Story. Today, tennis legend Margaret Court is sharing her incredible life journey. We'll hear more of her story, including how she became a pastor, when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're back with more of retired tennis player and former world number one, Margaret Court, sharing her incredible life journey. Today, we've been hearing how, at the height of her tennis career, she began to feel that there must be more to life and began a spiritual quest. Next, Margaret shares where this led her as she continues her chat with Phil Edwards.
0: You came to this understanding of moving from a place of kind of knowing about God and that he's out there somewhere in the sky or something to actually having him in your heart. And a key moment, I'd be really interested for you to take us to that point when you were in in France in a cathedral and really searching and crying out to God. What was really going through your heart and mind at that moment?
1: Well, I always, uh, you know, when I went to... Mass on a Sunday, it was like communion meant a lot to me. And it was like I thought Jesus was up in that tabernacle at the front and or he was out in the sky somewhere. And I think I was crying out on the inside, God, I want to know you. Where are you? You have to be more real to me. I had everything in the world, but I I just somehow uh, please uh, let me know and it was when I then went on to America to play and my husband and I and we'd stay with friends there and she gave me these books and and I came back to uh, Perth and and they were my friends here were going to these meetings and I said what what are you doing and they said we were going up to a Catholic monastery here and uh, you know we'd given our heart to christ and i said that's interesting i just read a little book on that and i remember going and sitting with them and following them around because i was in between of going back on the tent to the tennis circuit again in a, a it would have been a probably about two months time and um, i went along to one of these meetings it was from people here from overseas and they they were taking a meeting and i remember sitting in that meeting and it was like something got me up out of my seat. It was like everybody knew who I was in that thing and I wasn't going to get up mm-hmm. because I was watching them all. <laughs> but it was like something got me up out of the seat. And I remember going up to the front of the church and uh, saying, because in Romans ten nine and 10 in the Bible, it says, when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. And I'd never really done that. And I went forward and I said that prayer. The power of God hit me and uh, I just knew. I mean, I hit the floor, Phil, it was so powerful. Mm. And I just knew when I invited him into my heart, I knew that, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I, if I died the next day, I knew I was going home. Yeah. And when you do that, it's like your past is completely wiped out as far as the east is to the west, and Jesus takes your past. And that's that's what's so wonderful about it. But nobody ever really told me what had really happened to me because I didn't even have a Bible. I didn't know anything about uh-huh. the Bible very much, but I knew I knew there was a Christ I knew Christmas, I knew Easter, but I didn't know how to get him in my heart. And that day when I said that prayer, I knew he'd come into my heart.
0: Mm. So who walked the journey with you then to, I guess, help you to fill in those gaps after that? Was there someone, you know, who who discipled you?
1: No. Uh, I didn't really for probably about seven or eight years have anybody because I went back onto the tennis circuit. Right. After that happening to me, you know, I took that little prayer, Romans ten nine and 10, out of the Bible. I got somebody to write it out for me. I went back on the tennis circuit. Even the press would say to me, something's happened to you, Margaret. I said, yes, it has. I said, I went along to a meeting and I gave my heart to Christ. I know if I died... I said, I'd go home and be with the Lord. And I said, I've got this little prayer here. Would you like to say it with me? Because I want to be in heaven with you because we'd become such good friends. Mm. And they saw a change in my life. And I had this joy. I just bubbled and they knew me. I was a very serious, intense person, but I had had this joy in me and it sort of shone out of my eyes and they knew something had really happened to me, but I didn't have anybody to disciple me at that time, which was very sad in many ways. And I'd come home and I'd go to a couple of meetings, I'd go back on the circuit again. And then it was in 70, well, it was just before I got saved, that I had our son, our first child. And then when I did finish tennis, we went on to have three more, but it wasn't really probably until the early 80s that I really started to know what really happened from the Bible.
0: Mm. And of course, uh, obviously you've schooled yourself up because you're a pastor these days, which we'll get to in just a moment, but let's just round out what happened for you on the tennis court. 64 Grand Slam titles. That's uh, that's not a bad innings to borrow from another sport. As you look back at that and the other things through your lifetime, is there, is there anything that really stands out to you as the most significant moment out of all of that?
1: Um, well, I think it's always uh, that year probably I won the Grand Slam because I all four majors, the Australian, the French, Wimbledon and US all in the one year, mm because that was hard to do. You had to have a peak of fitness. You couldn't get the flu, you couldn't be down. Um, And you know, there's not many people that have done it or or have done that. And I'd gone twice, two other times, one three out of the four. Uh, I think when i won that, I just, I remember saying, thank God I've done it. It was like a goal that I'd gone after always through my life. I've had to have goals or vision out in front of me, even in ministry. You know, the Lord's placed things before me to do, and many of them are fulfilled now, and I thank God for that.
0: You, of course, uh, still hold the record, which is just incredible, unsurpassed feat of 64 Grand Slam titles but you've been a pastor for the last 25 years, so that's um, that's a pretty different kind of transition you know, from one space to another. How did it come about? How did you end up in Christian ministry?
1: Well, I uh, came into ministry probably my life was an absolute mess after probably having four little children under eight, and uh, uh, life became there. My husband was always up at the farm. We had a farm up and down, and I got into wrong teaching in the, in the scriptures. And uh, I think because I'd been number one in the world, it was like everybody thought that I had to be broken or something, I don't know, but I took on condemnation, guilt, unworthiness. I had these little children, but the, the wonderful thing was that I found a church and I went to Bible school in 1982 and 83 And I was on medication for torn valve of the heart, depression, insomnia. Life wasn't worth living. Mm. But as I sat in Bible school, that's why I'm so passionate about the scriptures and the word of God. Uh, By the middle of the second year, I was totally healed. I didn't need the heart tablets anymore. The depression had gone. Insomnia had gone. And I just saw what the power of the the scriptures and the word of God had done in my life. Mm. And then after Bible school, but as I was going through Bible school, and I had four children. I, I as a mum and, and as a wife, um, you know, I, I didn't get out into ministry too much. I helped in our church. I served in our church. But I headed up all the prayer there. And it finished up growing. We had about 300 in the prayer team, and we'd be praying for our nation and the nations of the world. And I think the Lord always gave me a great love, even when I was playing tennis for my nation, and the the flag'd go up as I said, and and even you uh, praying for it. I just had this passion for my nation to see my nation saved. Uh, you know, this great Southland of the Holy Spirit. It's been prophesied over it. And uh, I then started to just go out into community and I had Margaret Court uh, Ministries for about five years and I would go into community centres and I had a team that worked with me and we would help people who were down and out and people who had nothing and and I would go out there and preach and I would speak and then we'd see these miracles and healings. And I did that for about five years. I was more like the evangelist and getting mm-hmm. people saved and and I'd travel across the nation, not very much, perhaps a couple of times a year, just sharing my testimony. I still had children at school and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, after about five years of that, I was doing something uh, very spiritual in the kitchen, getting dinner ready <laughs> and all of a sudden (laughs) i saw this picture uh and it was two men that i'd gone through bible school with 10 years before and i just felt from within the holy spirit lives within me said you're going to pastor a church and i thought i never wanted to pastor i didn't want to be a pastor because i'd stayed with pastors when i did go out anywhere and uh, I saw a lot of them becoming messes, mm. and so I never wanted that. But I had this picture of two men who had had uh, pastored. They were pastoring churches in country areas, had very good works. So I sat on that for about three months, and, and then I phoned them, and I said, look, this is what I've got. I f- feel I'm calling to pastor a church. Would you come and help and be a part of the what God's showing me? Yeah. And I said, don't tell me right away, go pray about it. So they both phoned back a couple of weeks later and said, yes, we believe it's God. So that's how I started. We started out in a like a, a an amphitheater and we grew very quickly. We had good numbers. It started to grow. And uh, we're in the building we are in today and we're sort of up over the two, two and a half thousand people. So we've got an international Bible training centre and we put out 75 tonnes of food a week into community. Wow. Uh, we just built a prayer tower. So all these things out of that was what started 25 years ago and God called me to start a church. Mm.
0: And today, of course, is a Victory Life Centre. In uh, Osborne Park, if I've got that correct. in
1: Osborne Park in Perth, in Perth. Western Australia.
0: Yeah, so yep. uh, if you're looking for a good church, if you're in the local area, there you go, there's a plug for you, Margaret. But the more important thing, I think, is, you know, I pick up some, some things out of what you've just said, is you weren't really looking, but God gave you a vision. And I would imagine it was because you had positioned yourself to be able to receive that at the moment that God actually wanted to give it to you while you were, you know, making dinner.
1: That's right. And I think, you know, my, my tennis days put me in good stead because you were focused, you were disciplined, you were committed. Uh, you knew how to shut out the things. I remember I could be playing at Wimbledon and not even know who the umpire was or the people around because you just shut your mind out mm, to that. Focus. And, uh, and I loved to pray. So you got yourself still enough, even when you're doing the dishes, you'd be praying or doing something. Um, probably got my attention more at that time than if I had been in prayer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and I saw that and I, uh, that was how it all started. That was Phil Edwards having a chat with retired tennis player and
2: former world number one, Margaret Court, who was sharing her incredible life journey with us. As we heard, after her tennis career, Margaret went on to start Margaret Court Ministries. And in 1995, she founded a Pentecostal church known as the Victory Life Centre in Perth, where she still serves as its senior pastor. For more information, the church website is victorylifecentre.com. Dot com.au. Once again, that's victorylifecentre.com.au. Finally, Margaret's life story reminds me of a famous quote by the French philosopher Blaise Pascal, who said, "...there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of everyone, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ." And that is what we heard in Margaret's story. No amount of fame or earthly success can satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. And for Margaret, true fulfillment has come through following the Lord's calling into full-time ministry, which has been a blessing to many. Well, thanks so much for joining us for Margaret Court's incredible story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story he just come up and he started talking to me and he just said, you, you look down mate and so I just opened up to him about everything that had happened in my life and I said to him, you know, look I've lost everything, I've destroyed everything I've destroyed people, I've destroyed my career I've, I've just lost everything and, and, and I don't see a point I don't see any reason to still be here and he just looked at me and he said yeah, well that's why I'm here Phil Galvin was leading a vibrant youth group in his young adult years when he took great offense at some of the changes the church leaders were asking him to make. Sadly, his anger led him to eventually walk away from the Lord and into an extremely dark period of his life. Phil will share how it all turned around next time. The Story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.